Welcome to In Conversation with Siegwerk, the podcast adding a little more color to your day. I'm Carla Brown, your host for this episode. And this is the third installment of our series discussing packaging reuse. So if you haven't listened to episodes six and seven yet, I would encourage you to do so. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Ma, Siegberg's Global Sustainability Manager, and also by Claire Rampen, one of the founders of Wreath, which is an award-winning startup backed by the likes of Microsoft and the Open Data Institute. Using software, they help clients stay compliant with important health and safety and waste legislation, gather data on their environmental impacts, and lead the reuse revolution. So first things first, welcome back, Sarah. Thanks so much, Carla. Happy to be here. And a very warm welcome to you too, Claire. So for listeners who may not be familiar with Wreath or with you personally, can you give us a brief introduction to Wreath and also what inspired you to create it? Absolutely. Really pleased to be here as well. I started Wreath because I was really tired of seeing waste end up in landfill and see the fact that our waste systems felt so inefficient and we were seeing all this single-use stuff piling up in either landfill or being incinerated. And it felt like there must be some barriers to why things weren't being reused more or materials weren't being kept in life for longer. And it was when I started to dig into that, I realized that there was the missing digital infrastructure for enabling reuse at scale. So that's what we set out to build at Wreath. Brilliant. In our last episode in the series, we discussed advancements in technology that enable packaging reuse. And this is kind of a continuation of that theme. So Claire, I'm really interested in your digital twin system for smart packaging. Can you tell me how it works and what the benefits are of this? Absolutely. So we give every item a unique ID, and that can be done in any kind of machine-readable code way. So you could use something like a QR code, something very simple, or you could use much more advanced technologies such as digital watermarking or quantum IDs. And once you've given that item a unique ID, that physical item, we then create a digital twin version of it in our system, or you could call it also a digital passport for that item. The first step is to capture information about what it's made of. So we want to know what material it's made from. Does it have any percentage of recycled content in it? Where did that content come from? Anything that you might want to capture about the different componentry that this item is made up of. And that's really critical because that gives you a baseline understanding of what materials have gone into that item. And you can actually start assessing carbon and LCA information from there because you've got this footprint of exactly what materials and weight of those materials that that item is created out of. And then once it's in life and it's actually being used and reused, you can capture information about its life cycle. So if it's a piece of packaging, for example, you can capture information about what it's being filled with, what batch of product, what type of product, if there's any allergens associated with that product. If it gets cleaned, goes through a cleaning cycle, you might want to capture information about the chemicals used in that cleaning cycle. So you have a a digital ledger and an accurate record of exactly what that piece of packaging has come into contact with within your process. And that's really critical because it's when you're reusing something, you need to make sure that you're meeting all of the health and safety and legislation that exists out there to keep customers safe. And if you aren't able to track what's going into what piece of packaging and have a digital record of that, then it's very hard to maintain that compliance and to keep your consumers safe. So that's how our system works. And yeah, we've been really lucky to work with some of the world's leading reusable packaging initiatives across Europe. 
I really love the level of detail that this actually captures because it's obviously the, I don't know, the appeal to a, a company working with you would obviously go beyond just recyclability or environmental impact. It's also, as you said, about health concerns and meeting legislation. So that's brilliant. Yeah, I think there's, um, we've had some really interesting comments from big retailers who are saying that they're under more pressure than ever before to capture information on both the products that they're selling, but also the packaging that's encasing those. And we're, that is a trend that's only going to accelerate and only going to get more important, as rightly so. Um, bodies such as the EU start investigating much more closely what's going into landfill and if it could have actually been avoided in the first place. And then I think with reuse, it's such an exciting new space. The consultancy systemic, they talk about the idea of new delivery models. For me, that's a really positive way to look at it. Rather than reducing waste, we're talking about delivering value in a really exciting new way. Like as a customer, don't particularly want to pay money for a piece of cardboard that encases a product that I then put in the recycling and it may or may not be recycled. Like that's a loss of value. And why should I have to pay for that if there's a more innovative way to deliver value to me that doesn't require me to wait, you know, essentially waste something immediately for my purchase? I think it's really positive to think about the types of data we can capture and how that can start to inform our understanding of, yes, you know, there's the health and safety element, there's the environmental reporting element. They're both very interesting and important, but also customer behavior and and how people are interacting with reuse is really critical. Absolutely. And speaking of customer consumer behavior, I'm a consumer like everyone else, but I'm a very fidgety consumer. So I tend to like to pull off the labels or any other fixtures on the packaging that I handle. So how do you prevent a consumer like me from destroying the tags and then actually interrupting the track and trace process? That's a great question. And I'd love to hear from Sarah as well about how that works with the inks and coatings that Seabrook provides. But we've had our clients who are in charge, they're usually in charge of selecting what tag or tracker they want to put on their packaging. And we've had them select a whole bunch of different options, many of which are actually either embedded in the packaging, so you wouldn't be able to pick it off, or they're printed, digitally printed onto the packaging. So they're just as you couldn't scrape off a label that is essentially printed directly onto a container, you can't do the same with this tracker. So Yeah, there's lots of different ways of tracking and tagging. And I think it's really important to bear in mind all the constraints and the challenges that they'll have to go through, not this piece of packaging would have to go through, not to mention um, the cleaning process as well, making sure that it's going to be robust enough to withstand that. Absolutely. And Sarah, I'm actually going to throw to you in a second, but I just have one more question for Claire before I do that. And that is, you touched on this a little bit, I think, but I'd just like to maybe just have more detail on why the companies that approach you are approaching you? What is driving them? Is it legislation? Is it consumer demand? What's the deal? Really great question. What we've seen, and we actually did a piece of work before we launched the company commercially. We were very fortunate to have some research grant money from the UK government. And that enabled us to go out and speak to as many companies in this space as possible. And actually, we produced a piece of research that was peer reviewed and then published in the Journal of Sustainable Consumption and Production. And what it outlined for us, the outcomes of that research were that there's three main drivers of reusable packaging. The first is legislation. So The good thing about legislation is that if you take it to your CFO or your board and you try and present a case for reusable packaging, if you're doing it off the back of legislation and proposed tax increases, you have a much bigger chance of 
building a robust business case that's going to withstand scrutiny from those bodies because you're essentially saying, look, this is ways that we can actually offset upcoming costs that are going to increase. So legislation has a really critical role to play, and we're seeing it play that role. So in the UK, the plastic tax starts from April 2022, so in a couple of months. Across Europe, there's a mandate to introduce extended producer responsibility into packaging waste by 2023 across all member states. So that's where essentially you're saying, rather than have a subsidized system where the taxpayer pays for waste management systems, it's actually going to be the polluter that pays. So the person who's producing the goods and creating that waste, they're going to have to pay the full cost uh, or certainly a higher cost of how that piece of packaging or that product is going to be disposed of. So we're seeing really big changes there. And the second thing is consumer demand. And we can't ignore that because we're seeing again and again across many, many consumer research surveys. And I think Accenture does one or PwC Every six months, they do like a survey, a pulse survey of consumers and ask them what what matters to them. And sustainability is consistently reaching about eight out of 10 consumers and it's influencing their buying decisions. So we can't ignore the consumer demand. But I think I would be hesitant to say that that's driving big change management processes in big businesses because the challenge is that consumers will often say they want something and then they will do something different. And I think until we can find reuse models that really sit at that convergence of convenience and cost, like the right cost bracket, and are also meeting the needs of the consumer in a more sustainable way, we need to make sure that we find those models and can deliver those models to see that scale that we want to see in reuse. But legislation driving that kind of innovation is really critical. So we can't definitely can't decouple the two. And then the last thing is the cost pressures that are coming to businesses because of either increased taxes, like I already mentioned, or the increased cost of um, raw materials. You know, there's certainly, we're speaking more about packaging today, but we also have done work in the electronics space. And there's some significant supply chain challenges around procuring of raw materials and the cost of those raw materials. And we're seeing that also in the plastics space, particularly around recycled materials. So those cost pressures are only going to increase as we get into a more resource scarce world. And it's really important for businesses to mitigate against that so that they don't have to pass those cost increases onto consumers and lose their competitive advantage. Absolutely. And I think that this is obviously a very novel solution to this problem. But as we said before, inks and coatings can play a really big role in either enabling or hindering this. So Sarah, can you maybe talk a little bit more about how a company like Ziegberg can prevent, as I said, consumers from tampering with this tag, but also to ensure that the inks and the labeling stays vivid throughout multiple use cycles and cleaning, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Carla and Claire. And yes, during our research phase within Siegberg, we understood that there's, as Claire had mentioned, several different methods of incorporating track and trace into the packaging system. It can be completely integrated into the pack system itself. It can be integrated into the label or it could be a sticker format. So if it's integrated into the label or a sticker format, there's a few considerations that inks and coatings would have an effect on. So let's say it's a, it's a QR code sticker or a barcode sticker that's integrated into, that's compliant with the sorting or track and trace system. So ideally, you want this to last the lifetime so you can collect the relevant information, as Claire had mentioned, over the lifetime of the product. And um, there's definitely ways that ink can help this. 
For the QR code itself, you can create ink formulations that are highly retentive and also highly durable. And also, you can cover this with an overprint varnish. So there's more durability for that ink system itself. If you want to integrate it into the label or have it directly printed onto the packaging structure itself, then we have to manage different durabilities of ink system because you want that track and trace label to be, as mentioned, to last the lifetime of the product or of the packaging system. But you might want other parts of the package of the label to be variable, like the nutritional information or the branding even, especially if, if it's integrated into a pooled reuse system where multiple brands might be feeding into it. And there you have to have multiple durabilities for the ink system and it becomes quite the chemical formulation process. But also this would be managed at the inks and coatings level to enable this branding and durability of the track and trace as well as also the branding on the packaging itself. And also Maybe just one other factor would be the adhesion of the sticker. So if you do want to keep it with um, a QR code or a barcode that's stuck onto the product and not fully integrated, there's glue. That's often, I mean, this you want the glue to be durable, but then also it needs to come off at the end of life so it can be recycled. So also ensuring that you've got the correct formulation to match the use cycle requirements for the adhesion between the sticker and the packaging system itself. That's interesting. So something else I wanted to ask was whether there are any other ways that inks and coatings can enable track and trace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great that we're having this conversation cross value chain today with Claire with an an inks and coatings provider and a a technology-based organization because working with organizations to integrate the specific ink system so it works flawlessly with sorting or tracking systems is absolutely paramount. One good example of this is the German Fan system. And there's a a special formulated ink system on the label that has two really key and really important considerations. And so the first is these reverse vending machines that are located in supermarkets where you bring back your bottle and it's scanned. It's then identified if it can and cannot be recycled and it's accepted or rejected by the machine. This is a special formulated ink that was built specifically so the reader of that reverse vending machine can identify the bottle. So it's a lock and key system. One cannot function without the other. And the second consideration is because this is a deposit system, so when you buy your German water or your PET bottle or glass bottle, you pay a deposit. And then when you return it, you get that deposit back. So there's this incentive, there's a monetary incentive. And so where there's monetary incentives, you can have fraudulent behavior And so there's really strict requirements and security specifications for this ink and the label system that's highly regulated and, again, very proprietary and specialized to minimize any of this fraudulent activity. So then we don't have this issue of people being able to mimic or duplicate this ink system and then return non-recyclable bottles So we're or non-reusable bottles in this case, because, of course, we're talking about reuse. And so it minimizes this, let's say, the handling, if there's any 
misuse of the return system. So this, when the ink formulation is highly matched with the sorting technology and it works flawlessly, it enables the automization of the process while maintaining high security thresholds or levels and also keeping the, the whole process quite efficient. This is important to discuss, I think, because we often say that inks and coatings are an overlooked aspect when it comes to enabling something like recycling. But I think what's even less discussed is how it's an enabling factor for reuse. So I think this is a very important conversation to have. Claire, my next question is for you. I checked your website and it mentions that Wreath aims to break down the logistical and commercial barriers to reuse by contributing to the necessary digital infrastructure, which I guess is a little bit similar to the system that um, Sarah described and then obviously other systems. So what will that entail and what are some of the challenges that you see in the space? Great question. So I think it's worth recognizing that we're doing something new. You know, the last several decades have really been focused on optimizing single use. Everything from packaging design to logistic systems have been designed, built, and then optimized for that one-way flow of goods. And we really cannot underestimate how much compounding has happened. And it's so important to recognize the size of the challenge that we're undertaking. But Sarah mentioned some really exciting possibilities of things like optimizing inks and coatings to enable reuse. And I think that's a great example of how reusable packaging can't just be an afterthought, but if it's well thought through, it can actually be game changing and we can really demonstrate that this can be done at scale. So when I talk about us breaking down the logistical and commercial barriers by providing a digital infrastructure, it's things like the data that we capture on reusable assets and understanding where that reuse cycle is breaking down, where there's a high loss rate, where there's not an optimal return rate, where there's potentially components that are breaking down in the wash cycle or just in the life cycle of that product when it's being used. That's really critical for informing those design decisions to essentially smooth out the logistics. And this is what we've been doing in the single use world for decades now. We've taken everything as a feedback loop. For example, plastic bottles. I don't know if you've bought one in the supermarket for a long time, but when you pick up a plastic water bottle, it'll almost like crush in your hand. And that's because the packaging design teams have been given briefs to make them lighter and lighter and thinner in order to reduce the amount of plastic that's being used, which is absolutely commendable. But at the same time, it's not really solving the problem. And so I think we need to take that same attitude of optimization and we need to gather data in order to actually enable that optimization. And for me, that's where the digital infrastructure is critical. And um, Sarah touched on it briefly, talking about the deposit return schemes that exist in Germany. We see that as a really critical layer because if you can, getting materials back from consumers will always be a challenge, particularly if you don't have very established waste streams. And where it's unfortunate that, you know, at the moment there's been a lot of investment in recycling, but not really a huge amount of investment in reverse logistics for reuse, even though actually to the consumer, it's probably a very similar experience. And so digital infrastructure can really help with that consumer engagement, help them understand the difference between recycling and reuse, and then also provide incentives for customers through something like a digital wallet. So there's a huge amount of, I see digital technology as a really critical enabler of reuse at scale. Speaking of reuse versus recycling, 
are seeing some similar advancements, uh, digital advancements and technological advancements in the recycling space. And I'm thinking of something like the Holy Grail initiative, and we will talk about those in future episodes. But my question to you today, to you both today, is are you seeing some mirroring in that respect? Or do you think that reuse has an advantage in that the infrastructure is kind of being developed alongside these tech advancements instead of the existing infrastructure having to be upgraded or modified. So, Claire, maybe you could start with your thoughts on that. Great question and great observation. Yes, we see that in some ways it's re- reuse is an afterthought because recycling has been seen for so long as the main way to deal with waste in a better way other than incineration and landfill. But I think that there's more voices now at the table across the EU and globally who are asking why we aren't examining reuse as a more viable option. And I think, and to your point about, can we just essentially leapfrog the analog inefficient system of reuse that we probably would have had if it had been enabled 10 years ago? And can we jump to a much more fit for purpose, consumer focused and data gathering system from day one. Absolutely. And that's what we've seen. We work with clients from FTSE 250 retailers through to small startups who are just trying to challenge the status quo. And what's really inspiring is that almost, well, all of them, because they're working with us, recognize the importance of a digital infrastructure from pretty much day one. And that the fact that that data is really, really powerful for them. So yeah, I'm hopeful there to answer your question. Great. And Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, thanks, Carla and Claire. I think what we're seeing is both. So we're seeing this incorporating into existing technology as a stopgap or an interim solution. And then in some instances, we're seeing a lot of innovation in the space where the entire system is being built from the ground up. We have this grassroots systems, these grassroots systems being built. I think the stopgap or the interim solution, this retrofitting a reuse system into existing technology, it is possible and it is happening, but it's challenging because as Claire had mentioned, we're moving away from this one-way use cycle to a circular system. And this departure from the use cycle behavior becomes, I mean, it comes with a lot more complexity put it this way, because you have to consider reverse logistics and a washing cycle and possibly a relabeling or re-inking and reprinting cycle or stage. I think for now, this retrofitting, I mean, it's a good solution so we can sort of test the waters and see how consumers will react or how brands will be able to adapt to a reuse system. But in my opinion, I think where we would really make gains, and Claire mentioned this, is where we start with reuse in mind from the beginning. So we design with reuse as a consideration. And this is huge because we can see it in the, for example, the German font system where we have an integrated ink into the sorting technology. Or another example is designing the packaging where if you have a cup and it has a lip, this increases the dry time by three times. And that impacts turnover because you have to have this cleaning and washing cycle. And so you design the packaging differently so it can be dried more efficiently. So there's so much detail and complexity that can really make a reuse system more efficient and more cost effective and then therefore scalable. But I think that this 
it would be more advantageous if it's considered from the very beginning, from the inception. So, and we are seeing more and more instances where this is the case, where you have someone creating an, a reuse ecosystem with all of these components in consideration, and they're being piloted today, which is really, really exciting. It is exciting. I'm really excited to see how this is developing and the technological advancements. And unfortunately, though, that's all we have time for today. So firstly, I would just like to thank both my guests so much for giving me your time today. This was an incredibly interesting conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you again, as always, to our listeners. So if you're interested in getting in touch with Wreath, Claire, how would they be able to reach you? They can find us at Wreath, R-E-A-T-H dot I-D. And my email is my name at Wreath ID. Perfect. Okay, great. Keep an eye out for future episodes and have a wonderful day. Goodbye.